What is the latest, everyone? And welcome back to another episode of the In the Paint Show presented by Ball is Live. Ronnie Flores and Devin Ugland here with you for episode number 97. Ronnie, we're almost at a century mark. Um, good stuff from us over the last two years or so. And, you know, we're going to jump right into uh, the NCAA tournament and the national championship game, which took place on Monday, two days before recording this podcast. And, you know, in, in, in a podcast prior, Ronnie, when we were talking about what we wanted to see in the NCAA tournament, I said I wanted to see Gonzaga Baylor in the national championship game because I sure. wanted, wanted to see Gonzaga against an elite level defense. And, it, you know, and you got it. <laughs> I, got, I, got, I got my matchup. I, I got yeah. my elite level defense and the elite, elite level defense shut down the undefeated, formerly undefeated um, and elite level offense. I think. Yeah, because I think the elite level defense had some pretty damn good offense. <laughs> so that's what I'm that's that's kind of what I was going to going to get yeah. into first right away is. Yeah, I think a lot of the conversation uh you know, with the talking heads on ESPN or whatever shows, uh, you know, the morning show talking head guys uh, is was Gonzaga overrated? No, they weren't. I think Baylor, when the conversation was being had about Baylor, it was all like great defensive team. Yeah. Toughness, defense, rebounding, you know, all that, all that's great stuff, but they didn't give them credit for having skill guys at the very skilled. Yeah, the two the two guards they have are super skilled, and in addition to the quickness, they was shown right away that they were overall the quicker backcourt. I think that was shown pretty fast in the game, and you know the two guards they have are are, are terrific. You know Jared Butler and Davion Mitchell to begin with, and they have other good players too. You know that play maybe a little bit lesser roles, but yeah, I'm with you there. When, once you once they got on a roll offensively, what they go up nineteen six nineteen seven maybe. It was a fast, yeah. It was a quick, quick, you know, advantage, overwhelming, overwhelming kind of spurt at the beginning of the game, and And the thing that was on their heels, and they never really recovered. Yeah, they never really recovered. People said, "Oh, they pulled within ten. I think natural tendency of of a team and human beings are, "Oh, we got this good. We're going good. Let's let's not do anything crazy." They took a couple bad shots toward the end of the first half, meaning Baylor. And they let it get within 10. But then when the second half started, boom, boom, (laughs) they're right up to 13 and 15 again really fast. It's not like Gonzaga was ever really in it, like you said. Yeah, I guess you could say they were in it when they were down 10, but they didn't it didn't feel like that. It just felt like they survived. For sure. It it felt like yeah, like a a heavyweight fight in the the heavyweight guy, you know, in in round six or seven is just hanging on for dear life. Life. Yeah. Decide, you know, is able to not get knocked out, but eventually, you know, loses by decision. Correct. Uh, and that's that's what happened. Uh, yeah. You know, Davion Mitchell, there wasn't a better, more explosive guard in the tournament. He played really good. D. That's the part I was a little surprised about that. Gonzaga was so rattled offensively. They mishandled the ball quite a bit of times in the first 10 minutes. It was a little yeah. surprising. I mean, Baylor has good defense and they hustle. And I, I think we got to give a shout out to our guy Mark Mark Vital from yes. uh, from Prime Prep, and yeah. it seems like Mark's been on the scene for like 15 years, you know, like, and he still has it. He's like Cody Riley. He's like, what? He's still around, and you know, yeah. he's like, and he he really offensive rebounding. He he set the tone early with like two or three rebounds that were like really important. Yeah. So Mark Vital, you look at his stat line: 27 minutes, three for seven from the field, six points, 
11 rebounds, but eight of those 11 rebounds were, were on the offensive glass. Yeah, so that's, that's going to kill a team. That's eight second chance opportunities um, for an offense that shot 10 for 23 from three and 16 of 18 from the free throw line. And you look at Butler, Mitchell, and, and Macy Oteague, the other starting guard. Yeah. So they play a three guard backcourt. Yeah. And those guys combined accounted for nine, nine of the, uh, excuse me, not nine. Um, four, I'm not good at math. Seven of those three point shots. Um, and then Flagler off the bench played 22 minutes and went three for four from the three point line. So you, you have four guys hitting 10 threes at a 43% clip. I mean, it's going to be really tough, tough to win. Yeah. To win that game, especially even if they don't offensive rebound that good for sure. Baylor was still in, in control. Yeah. And, and, and Gonzaga didn't shoot its normal percentage from three. They shot 29% from three under 30%. And that's just not going to work. This is not uh, going to work against a team. Two things I wanted to yeah. bring up about the game, and it's 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 related to the semifinal games, yeah. is Houston obviously was like, wow, Baylor just kind of steamrolled through them. But Grant Hill and Billy Raftery, I love them all to death, but they, they right away they're like, oh, my God, you know, they have a hangover from the semifinal game. Like, I just didn't see much credit to, like you said, about how good Baylor was and how good their offense was. Like, wait a minute, they're just blowing by them. I'm not sure that – I'm not sure that Saturday night had anything to do with that. Like, or too much. It just, Baylor was quicker and better. That I mean, night. the only thing you needed to watch when it came to the Baylor yeah. Gonzaga game is whenever, whenever there was a ball screen and they switched yeah. Timmy or a, a big yeah. onto that ball screen, uh, you saw Baylor just clear it out. And yeah. if it was Davion Mitchell, he was dancing and getting by guys. Like, it was like nothing. You know what I mean? Yeah, it had nothing to do with Saturday. It had to do with, Gonzaga switching their bigs on there, switching everything and yeah. exploiting it. Right. So yeah. I, I I saw that and I said, well, I get a little bit of it. You know, Grand Hill played in a in a in a an emotional game prior that he had probably had some thoughts about it, and we'll talk about that here in a minute about great games, and, and we'll obviously talk with our guests about great games and and things like that. But um, yeah, I, I just thought it took a little bit away from Baylor's performance to say oh you know they're they that semifinal game against you said they took them took the steam out they're 20 years old everybody rested sunday i mean everybody had a chance to rest sunday i, I don't see that it's not like the game was 8 a.m in the augs gym monday morning <laughs> like, like i don't you know it was monday night for for christ's sake you know yeah, what I mean? like, there was plenty of time to recover from that overtime game and if you really think about it ronnie they should have been coming off of like a high a feeling yeah. of like, oh, we, we you know. Hit we a, were unbeatable, yeah. Hit a game winner, yeah. you know, from half court to send us to the national championship game. We're undefeated. No one's beat us. We're like, not going to lose, yeah. We're not, yeah. And I think I think one of the, uh, a big issue or a big thing for Gonzaga was Jalen Suggs picking up those two quick fouls. Yeah. Having to go to the bench. He's there. He's been their, their catalyst, their marquee guy, the guy who could match the toughness of Baylor. Um, yeah. At the guard position. And then. You know, he, he just never, I mean, he, he ended up finishing eight for 15 from the field, 22 points. So obviously, you know, still put up uh, decent numbers, but he never seemed right. He was getting kind of, he was getting ripped a little bit. Yeah. Uh, you know, wasn't taking care of the basketball as much as we're used to. And it just seemed like Baylor's initial offensive push kind of just surprised Gonzaga so much. And they, they were just on their heels the rest of the game. They were on their heels the rest of the game. Yeah. I agree with that. Uh, I I think, uh, like you said, if they played ten times, I, I think Baylor wins six or seven. 
They're just seems a little better. They're they're physically stronger. Uh, again, they may not shoot that well if they played a bunch of times, but they're still much quicker. They're quicker. I mean, I mean, dude, you look at their ball movement, uh, yeah. how how their their mix of the three guards and the two big men with Vital being kind of just like a, a bruiser and offensive rebounder, and then the other um I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, Thamba. Yeah. Um Flo Thamba. He, Flo Thamba. He, he's not he's not super skilled, not a guy who's gonna get you a back to the basket bucket, but you have to you have to respect him on a roll to the basket. Yeah. And then that opens up the threes for Teague, for Mitchell, and for um, Butler, and then Flagler off the bench. So you look at they have four guards who can hit who can hit shots like that, and then also those four guards can create off the bounce for themselves and teammates, and are good in ball screens. I, I think I think Gonzaga might have been caught off guard by how skilled the Baylor guards were. And I think America was caught. I off think guard America was caught off guard by how how skilled yeah. and how yeah. talented the Baylor backcourt was, and they're four deep. You know yeah, what I mean? And, and they really were that good, especially Mitchell. All, I mean, he's yeah, they're the all most interchangeable. Explosive guard around. I mean, he was getting by guys all tournament like nothing. And J- Jared Butler was the uh, the most outstanding player. Uh, yeah, kudos to him. Tournament, congratulations to him. He's a. I think he's a guy who's going to have a really solid just a solid NBA career. Um, even though, you know, he might not have the typical or prototypical size and length and athleticism that, that, you know, people think of when they think of NBA guards, but he's just solid, man. And with Jared Butler running, I can see him, you know, making a, a solid career at the NBA level. Uh, yeah, let's definitely jump, let's, so we're going to welcome on here in about three minutes, Jared Lucas from Oregon state, um, former Los Altos high school guard, who we covered a lot, Ronnie, from his time at Los Altos and was the Compton Magic on the club circuit. He is the third all-time leading scorer in, in CIF California State history behind yep. Marcus Nelson and Darnell Robinson. Uh, Jared scored 3,356 points at the high school yeah. level. We're going to, before we bring him on, Ronnie, let's kind of just break down his his uh, his little, you know, his high school career and, and um, you know, why were people surprised about the fact that he was, you know, uh, ended up being a starter for that Oregon State team that made a deep run. Yeah, I, I think if you look at his production and you just look at, you know, uh, his, we talked about in the last pot in the paint, like just his uh, competitive nature and his fire. I think he had a lot of proof. And I think Oregon State had a lot of proof. Um, you know, obviously they were in a, we're going to ask him about it, but they were in kind of in a win or go home situation even longer than the tournament. And that seemed to maybe help him. Devin, were you were you like one of three making it to the final four? Is that kind of what you expected when you when those three pack 12 teams made it to the eight? Or uh, you know, what did you take about that? And then them tying uh tying the game up in the lead eight before before uh, falling to Houston. Yeah, I mean, it, it was just kind of a testament to um that group. I think Jared can shed some more light on this, but it seemed like that group was pretty cohesive, Ronnie. And yeah. They believed, you know, they were picked to finish last in the Pac-12 um, in the preseason poll and <laughs> ended up finishing, ended up, you know, being one of the better teams in the conference. And that's great. Uh, Wayne Tinkle, the head coach there, did a, did a masterful job of getting those guys together, uh, game planning, running offense. And again, Jared's going to share some more insight on what, what was going on behind the scenes. And Tinkle was rewarded recently with a six-year contract extension. So uh, congratulations to him and Ronnie. He was on the ropes. His back, Tinkle's back was against the wall as far as his his coaching status went at Oregon State. If, sure. 
if they don't make the tournament, he might have been out of a job. Who knows? But they went to the tournament. They won a lot of games. <laughs> and he he got a he got a long extension and he deserves it for you know uh putting that together. But that that group was just solid. Ethan Thompson, great player. Jared, great player. Uh, Roman Silva. I mean, I was I was on the train. Did that his Roman job. Silva, I was on the train that Roman Silva couldn't play in the Pac-12, and and here here I am, you know, eating my words. And Jerry Lucas just popped in, so let's get him on, Ronnie. There's our guy Jared. He's connecting to audio right now, and then we'll bring him in, dude. There's a lot of pictures back there, bro. We got you. Yeah, man. <laughs> this, this my dad. This my dad's room downstairs or his office. Ooh. So he's got all, all the old players and everybody else in here. That's cool, man. Hey, That's thanks for cool. joining. Thanks for joining us this morning, Jared. We were just talking about you being, you know, a, a third, you know, leading scorer in, in state history in California, number one in, in Southern section history. And people still thought you couldn't play at Oregon State. I want to address this, this matter. Why, you know, did, did that, did that drive you to prove people like that wrong? Or are you just kind of just out there playing and, and doing your own thing like usual? Uh, it definitely um, providing a, a little extra, extra motivation or fuel. Um, you know, like you had said, uh, you know, I think I was kind of doubting my whole high school career. You know, a lot of people say that, but I actually believe, you know, I wasn't in a lot of the rankings. I wasn't in a lot of that stuff. I had one high major offer coming out of high school. I had one Pac-12 offer in Oregon State. Um, and, and it pushed me, especially playing in Pac-12. You know, a lot of people this year didn't think I could do what I did, you know, being the second leading tour on my team and other stuff like that. Yeah, that, that makes sense. You shared. When, you know, where did you improve the most? you think like um, over the course of your freshman season and, and what gave you like maybe some inkling like guys, you know, maybe the media doesn't think we're that good, but we we're pretty good. If we just put it together, play together. When did that, when did, what did you improve the most upon? I think for me, it was, it was definitely probably my change of pace and shot selection towards the end of the year. I kind of struggled with my shot selection, but um, you know, being in high school, obviously my A team, I had a lot of good players and I got adjusted to playing with height. But in high school, you know, the tallest dude I ever played against, you know, in my league might have been six five, you know, so I wasn't getting much yeah. out of it, you know. And once I got to the college level, I realized, you know, a lot of times I can't go to the basket and throw something up. It's probably going to get beat up. Um, and so I realized I'm going to have to have a change of pace. And I, I think my helping um, improve my change of pace definitely helped our team um, get better. And obviously at the end of the year, we put all the pieces together. Yeah, what was going on behind the scenes, Jared, w- within your guys' team and the conversations you were having about – uh, you know, being picked last in the Pac-12 in the preseason, then you're in the NCAA tournament and you're making a run. What kind of conversations were being had? What was your guys' motivation behind all that? Uh, I think it all started um, after we we lost pretty bad against the Arizona by like 35 on our home court. Um, and we lost a few games and, you know, we realized like, dude, like this is bad. Like, it's a bad yeah. look for all of us. You know, we lost 35. And, you know, I think for a lot of us, you know, we, we never really lost like that. And I can say I never lost by 35 or it got close to 40 that game. And, you know, ever since then, it, it kind of clicked. We won three straight road games, lost our last home game against Oregon. Um, and then to the Pac-12 tournament, uh, you know, everything just kind of fell into place, got a little lucky. But, you know, it's kind of crazy to think about, you know, Jules Bernard hits one more free throw. And we're, we're not having this conversation. We're not talking about our run. Yeah. 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 It's a winner you know, like a dot winner go home situation. Did that help you guys that you were kind of in a winner go home situation pretty much from the end of the regular season? Like it's like your NCAA tournament started way before the NCAA tournament started. You know, what did you guys, did you guys feel that just amongst the players or did you guys talk about that? Uh, we talked about it. We talked about it once we won three games in a row um, on that road stretch. I mean, we won Cal Stanford sweep 
and we got Utah, and we said, man, you know, at this point, let's let's just try and make a run, bro. Everybody just said, hey, man, let, let, let's let just play team basketball. Let's get there. Um, and we did it. You know, obviously, like I said, that game against Oregon, but everything else fell into place. Yeah, yeah. It's like the, your guys' cohesion as a team. After that, that 35-point loss you discussed to Arizona, it seemed like everything kind of fell into place. And you guys might not have had a, had a superstar-type player. Uh, Ethan was kind of the, the marquee guy. And then yourself, uh, Roman Silva, and a lot of guys played roles. Discuss you know, how important it was for you to accept the role that you did and other guys to kind of play, you know, just play within themselves and accept their roles. Uh, for me, you know, I realized to be on a winning team, I never won a championship in high school. So, uh, you know, I realized yeah. on a winning team, you know, you got to play a role. You got to have everybody on the team needs to know their role. And we all bought, bought into our role towards later in the season. And eventually that helped us. And, you know, you mentioned guys like Roman Silva. I mean, he had that eight for eight game against Tennessee. Um, and we, I don't think we had, he had really good performances. We hadn't really seen that. And so once the, all this was kind of clicking, I knew that we were going to be a tough team to beat. Yeah. I mean, you obviously guys became a tough team to beat. Um, you know, what was your, obviously it's, it's still fresh. What was your most like memorable thing or the thing you think about the NCAA tournament the most now, just that a few days have passed and, and it's over now. What, is it a certain game? Is it something you guys said? Is it just some bonding moment or something on the court? Uh, I'd have to say, I'd just have to say Ethan's dunk against Loyola Chicago uh, was yeah. pretty good. That full court pass by Worth, I remember I was going uh, pretty crazy. I think that was, I think it was Loyola Chicago when he had that yeah. dunk. And then also the Loyola Chicago game, the game I had hit that three, they were kind of all over me all game. And, yeah. you know, I told, you know, I know we know this, but I told the dude that was guarding me <laughs> after I hit, I had hit the shot, uh, you know, it was a four point game, a minute left. I hit the shot and I said, all I needed was half a season and your season was over. Half, <laughs> half a second, I mean, half a second and your season was over. Because uh, I forgot the name of the kid, but he was on me, glued to me all game and turned his head for half a second. And then, Jared, that doesn't surprise me at all because you like to talk on the court. You like to do a little bit of chatter. How did you develop that kind of chip on your shoulder that you play with? I got to give it to Isaiah Mo. Okay. Gotta, <laughs> you know, um, I mentioned this, you know, I mentioned this to some other people. I mentioned Isaiah all the time. Um, you know, he was somebody, he's somebody that, that has pushed me and he's somebody that, you know, if you know Isaiah, he talks nonstop. Yep. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and so I learned early, you know, with especially playing with Compton Magic, you know, I got to talk back. Or at least that's what I thought I had to talk <laughs> I gained some respect from him and the, and the rest of the teammates on my team. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. You got to speak up and, and do your thing. Like, how much maybe did, um, the experience playing with, with him, his brother, oh, Isaiah Hill, like, did that help you at all in this? Like, hey, I've been in a big game. Maybe you guys haven't all seen it, but, like, we're, we, you know, I've played against good players. Or, did, you know, did that experience help you at all, like, in this in this last year or so? Yeah, I think it does. You know, a lot yeah. of people, first thing they think, you know, they don't think that I was, you know, I wasn't a big piece of the Compton Magic. You know, I was, I was, I was there, but I wasn't, you know, like some of the great yeah. guys you've mentioned. Um, so, so they don't, they don't know in high school, I didn't, you know, like I said, I didn't have all that stuff, but yeah. it did help me, you know, we had played, you know, that national championship game sold out at Bishop Gorman because yeah. other games that, you know, that game against Lamelo ball sold out at Orange Lutheran. Mm -hmm. I played with pressure situations. And so I definitely think that's helped me and I'm playing on a big stage, like an NCAA tournament. Ron, Ronnie and I were at that game at Olu and honestly, bro, I'm shocked. I didn't get coronavirus at that game. 
because <laughs> we were we were up at the top just like squeezed in among like a hundred people and it was it was absolutely terrible but that game was awesome as was the takeover game yeah uh, four people was, there, like four rows on, yeah, on, yeah. On, on the baselines it was yeah. it, that, that game was insane uh for you jared um what's it like to see yourself ethan roman then you go to isaiah evan uh isaiah white and all these guys from southern california in, in you know big games on the biggest stage in the ncaa tournament what was it like for you to see your friends former teammates i mean former guys who you played against uh in high school and aau what was it like to see that it was awesome i think you guys might have seen the love we we're all showing each other on twitter yeah uh, yeah you know, and seeing each other in the elevators. Um, you know, one time, it was right after my team, we had just lost because we were the first to play in the Elite Eight out of USC and UCLA. And all of those 2019 guys, um, me, Isaiah, Evan, Johnny Hunt, Julian Franklin, Max, uh, Johnny Juzang, Jake, you know, Isaiah texted me like, hey, man, I want to say what's up to you before you leave. And it was kind yeah. of you know, how it all happened. So me and Isaiah, I called my boys from Oregon State, the SoCal dudes. And we got Johnny Duzang, his uh, SoCal dudes. And obviously, you can't really do this uh, in, you know, the whole hotel. Yeah, right. So we had like 15 dudes on the second floor, all from Southern California, uh, just talking. It was for like two hours. I mean, it was crazy. And it was something, you know, I wish we would have gotten a picture. Um, But it was so cool. You know, it really, after, I think after an hour, I got a text from a couple of guys like, man, that was cool. Like, we've all known each other since we were little. And here we are in the Elite Eight. You know, it was cool. Yeah. I feel like I feel like Southern California basketball is, for some reason, for some reason, is still underrated nationally. Uh, you know, you look at the NBA and you see like James Harden or DeRozan or any of these guys who grew up playing Southern California basketball being, you know, top tier players in the NBA. Why? Why, Jared? I mean, Ronnie and I covered a lot. Frank Burleson, Joel Francisco. Uh, you know, we cover a lot of games and we have decent followings and. We, we've told people that, you know, Jared Lucas is really good. Or we told people that uh, Isaiah Mobley is really good. Jake Kaiman, Max Agbonpolo, all these guys. Why why are we still, you know, having this discussion about Southern California basketball being underrated? Look, I really couldn't tell you. But <laughs> first thing that comes to my mind, you know, when we think about, you know, the rankings this year with the Pac-12 and stuff like yeah. that, the only thing that comes to my mind is because we're three hours uh, behind. Sure. But it yeah. all makes no sense. Like the Pac-12, if you would have gave us, um, you know, I guess some of the respect that the Big Ten or, you know, like the Big Ten, I think they only had one team left. Uh, <laughs> you know, if we would have got a little more respect, we could have had six or seven teams in there. Sure. Yeah. 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 Did you guys think about that at all? Like when you saw the draw, like, wait a minute. Or were you guys excited about the draw? Or was it like, hey, we got in. We don't care. Did you notice that the other Pac-12 teams like Oregon and USC were in the same quadrant? Did you guys kind of notice that or wasn't wasn't too big of a deal? I wasn't too big of a deal, but once I'd seen they had the matchup in the Sweet 16, I said, man, you know, if we mix that up, we could add all four teams in the, in the Sweet 16, Elite Eight, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. You know, there was just a little more respect for the Pac-12. And obviously, I think we gained that. And there should be a lot more respect this upcoming season. Yeah, Jared, I'm sure, you know, you're on social media. You watch TV, I'm sure. And, and a lot of people were discussing, you know, Coach Tinkle's future. And this was him coaching for his – an extension or coaching for his job. Um, did, did you guys hear that talk? And did you take that personally to try and, and win for him? Uh, we had heard it. We had heard it uh, early in the season. We lost three in a row, uh, Portland, Wyoming, Washington State. Uh, mm. that, four and six. And you know, we were like one and four in conference. And that's when there was starting to be some buzz. 
Um, I mean, we had heard it, but we did, we just said, hey, man, we just got to win. You know, whatever happens, happens. Yeah. Let's win. Yeah. Your, was your family able to see you uh, uh, in the tournament? Your dad? Yeah, it was great. Um, that was the one thing, you know, I, I forget to mention a lot of people. It was so cool um, having my family there. And there's one place, and people had mentioned it, I had seen a couple of interviews, uh, at Hinkle Fieldhouse. I, this is the first time I felt all season, like I felt like I was in a, you know, like a real game, I guess, yeah. with the fan atmosphere because it was got loud in there. And it was cool. Yeah. How, how have you been doing throughout the pandemic? Um, how, how difficult was this season to navigate, you know, with testing, with not knowing if, you know, a game was going to happen? Uh, take us through that process. It was a little difficult for everybody across the country. Um, yeah. but for us, you know, getting tested every day, I was something to get adjusted uh, to. Eventually we got adjusted to it, and then um, it was obviously it was a little weird. My first game when we played uh, with no fans, you know, <laughs> I, this was the first time I heard the crowd noise pipe in. Okay. Wow, this is a little crazy. And then there, there, yeah. the second time we played at Washington State, it was our first kind of close game, and it was a two point game with like 15 seconds left. And I'm like, you know, I'm trying to, you know, obviously you're a little fired up, but I had to get myself a little fired up because usually you have the crowd, but everybody yeah. can feel it. You'll feel feel the energy with a two point game. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah that makes you, it. Did it ever feel like? Sorry to cut you off, Devin. Did it ever feel like it was like, man, this is almost like a practice. Like this is a scrimmage, and then it's like, wait a minute, we're in a game. Like you said, we're one in four in conference. We got to win. Like, did it ever feel at the beginning like the, that's what I saw when I was watching college? I was like, dude, I could really tell what these guys are doing, how much they're talking, how much they're switching. Did it ever feel like a, a scrimmage? Uh, definitely. There are a couple games where I went in and. Yeah. You yeah. know, every team's calling our play, uh, we're yeah. calling their plays, uh, yeah. ball coverages. I know what's coming because usually in most games, you, you don't hear that. You don't yeah. hear blue or red, red. And you know what's coming. You know, for both sides, you knew what was coming because it was so quiet in the gym. That's yeah. crazy. And Jared, you're used to people yelling at you from the stands. So I'm sure that didn't, you know, you, you like to get kind of pumped up from people on the sidelines. So I'm sure, I'm sure it didn't help you to have no fans kind of screaming at you. Oh, man. You know, you still you still saw me throwing my stuff up. <laughs> I still found a way to uh, get my energy going. For sure. You always you always do. And, you know, that kind of takes me into another question. You started uh, the season coming off the bench and eventually worked your way into the starting lineup. Um, did you have conversations with the coaching staff about, you know, taking that that next step or that role? Or was it like, you know, Jared produces, he spreads the floor, he hits shots and he makes things happen. Uh, we need to start him. What was that? What was that like behind the scenes? Uh, well, I talked to coach um, once he had told me, you know, that I wasn't going to start. And obviously, you know, most players, it's your goal to start. And, you know, I was a little upset, but I used it as motivation. And, you know, eventually I found my way into the rotation. And then I think the first three games I started, we would beat Arizona State, beat Oregon, beat USC. And from then on, it, it just, uh, I, think, I think we might have finished the year 16 and 7 or something with me in the starting lineup. But, at yeah. the end of the day, you know, we just started winning, and somehow I was, you know, a part in that in the starting lineup. Yeah. Makes sense. Well, Jared, we appreciate the input, and uh, thank you for taking the time to come on. I know you're trying to rest and enjoy, you know, enjoy some days with your family, so we appreciate you jumping on. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Jared. Yep. Thanks, buddy. Great stuff from Jared Lucas, Ronnie. Yeah. He's always, I mean, Ronnie, he's always been a guy who, uh, you know, is, is doesn't really, he's just straight up. Doesn't mince words. Yeah, he's a straight up guy. Yeah. Like his dad. Yeah, like, kind of reminds, you know, like his dad is like that, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's very refreshing. Yeah. Like he said, 16 and seven after he started from, you know, starting in the conference one and four, big, big difference. 
Um, obviously, he can get a shot off. You, you, we, we tell that you, you especially say that to our listeners and in the gym, like, dude, if you can't shoot and score, you're gonna, you're gonna only get so high in the game, you know. So I think, regardless of uh, what people felt, oh, Jared didn't play in a good conference. Uh, he didn't play a good competition. Like he can really put the ball in the hole, and that made a big difference for that team. And then them come coming together. Uh, again, I, I, I don't want to butcher his name, but number ten is that Worth Ashley. He's a really good player, Devin. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he had a really good season and a really good tournament. So, you know, kudos to those guys. We didn't mention Gianni Hunt. He had some big moments. Um, you right? know, when, when, so many guys. Yeah, so with guys. whatever whatever you got, you got to go with. Um, and I think that's the way UCLA was as well. I think, like you said, maybe top to bottom, they're a little bit more talented, you know. Um, but they had to put it together at some point too. Uh, I saw a lot of Pac-12 games this year and he it was a battle. Every game was a battle. Again, the, the bubble type of situations changed it a bit. It wasn't really like a home, big home at court advantages at times. But there were some good teams, and we haven't even talked about Arizona. I thought about that, too. I said, what if Arizona was in the tournament? They were going to be a dangerous team they, you know, because they had some big wins this season. Yeah. you know, Following their team a bit, they had some big wins. So that would have been another team, as Jared said. Where did you? Where would they have been slotted You know, if they were eligible? Obviously, they – self-sanctioned i guess you say they didn't you know they pulled themselves out of the tournament whereas oklahoma state said hey we got Cade cunningham let's let's see if they're gonna sanction us they never did and they got in the tournament yeah they appealed it and they never oklahoma state appealed it they never the ncaa didn't uh retorted on the appeal so they were able to be eligible while arizona just took the hit immediately but yeah you look at that arizona team this year they might not have had the uh, star power that we're used yeah. to them having as far as you sure. know like Stanley Johnson or yeah. DeAndre Ayton something like that but that was a good team you look at yeah. uh James Akinjo you look at the the European guys that they had Benedict yeah. Mathurin uh and Tubelis uh, Tubelis the freshman yeah the freshman you know big man i mean that team was a Sean Miller type of team the team he likes yeah. to like a Xavier type team right yeah. not necessarily the the most talented or most, uh, you know, high, you know, prospect, high, you know, star recruited guys, but guys who just get after it. And if Arizona was in the tournament, they potentially could have made a deep run as well. Yeah, I think they could have. Well, because they had nothing to lose. Like you said, they had nothing to lose. They were loose. They were good. Matherin, uh, Tubelis, Dalen Terry. That's a good core freshman for, and this, just as we're recording this, we're finding out Sean Miller is not going to be the coach anymore. Right. Uh, You know, what's your first reaction to that, Devin? Is it, because of what happened in all the FBI investigation, or is it he hasn't really got to the final four? With, it's a combination. Yeah. It's a combination. If, man, I mean, it, it's just tough. You look at all the FBI stuff and you look at all the, the uh, uh, sanctions that are coming from it and the recruiting violations, you know, uh, I think – the, the the term the NCAA uses the official term is lack of institutional control on the head coach. Correct. So if Sean Miller is um, a perennial, you know, national semifinal contender, then do you, do I think that they would have pulled the trigger on this? Probably not. But he wasn't winning at the to level, this highest level, yeah, the level that Arizona wants to win. Right? They want to be a Villanova. They want to be. In, in that conversation of, of, you know, national championship teams, um, Gonzaga, Correct. Gonzaga, they want to be, you know, that, 
that level. Their fan base is very rabid. I mean, it's I've been to some, fan base. You know, I've been to those Pac-12 tournament obviously a few times in the last ten years. I've been to you know quite a bit of them, and uh, they got the biggest overall fan base in the Pac-12 for sure. Traveling fan base. Correct. I mean, take away COVID, you know, it, it. They have one of those top four or five programs where they expect to win. Um, it's very interesting, you know. They, like we said, they're the last Pac-12 team to win it in 1997 that's a long they, time ago man yeah i mean the pac-12 is 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 tough and that fan base at times can be uh yeah their expectations are very high let's just put it that way yeah for one that they have one national championship but their fan base is very tough on that very tough on that so you know um yeah you know to jared lucas's point when you look at the seating Devin, take us through before we bring our next guest on what you thought of that Michigan State UCLA playing game, and then take us from there with with UCLA and what you saw from UCLA. Yeah, UCLA got uh, a good draw. I think they got <laughs> they got a great draw in the in the tournament. Uh, that Michigan State game was was tough. I think that was actually might have been their toughest first round draw, Ronnie. Yeah. Um, but matchup wise, I think you know they're, they're another team that didn't have star power. Um, our next guest, Ronnie, is Jaime Jaquez, and he's going to jump on here in about ten minutes. And you think of you think of the name Jaime Jaquez, Ronnie, and you're not thinking UCLA starting three man, right? Yeah, you're not thinking about that. Um, yeah, I had a couple guys under the radar. Uh, you hear Tiger, Tiger Campbell, Tiger Tiger. My guys always say Tiger and Tiger. <laughs> Tiger Campbell's a little under the radar as well. You, you know, look at, you look at uh, Cody Riley, um, their their best player, Chris Smith was lost for the season earlier this season with an injury. So he was their top player, you know, biggest NBA prospect. And, you know, you look at a guy like Johnny Juzang, who, um, newcomer. Yeah. We didn't, we did our, our newest episode of on the rise this week is on Johnny Juzang. We break down his game and we discussed in that episode that he scored 137 points in the NCAA tournament. And the only person in the history (laughs) of UCLA basketball, the lauded, and uh, his story program. program, the only person to score more points in the NCAA tournament than Johnny Juzang was Lou Alcindor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And then the next after Johnny, Johnny was second. The next is, is Bill Walton. That's uh, that's some elite level company. And, you know, Johnny had some major, major, you know, games in big situations. Um, and, and we'll kind of talk to Jaime a little bit more about just the team overall, but you know, were you surprised after Johnny's stint at Kentucky? Um, I wouldn't call it a failed stint, but I would call it a, a stint that didn't go in, in the best interest of either 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 party program or person. And yeah. he made his way back west to UCLA, and um, you know he, he thrived. Were you surprised by that at all? Um, I think I was a little surprised that they um, put it all together as a as a unit. And it was Johnny kind of like leading the pack there. Because if you look at, they were down, what, 14 or 11 against Michigan State? Like you said, there's very thin line between success and failure in this tournament. I think Jared Lucas mentioned it. If if UCLA, Jules Bernard makes a free throw, they lose, they're out. That changes a lot. So, again, if that first game, if they don't get over that first game, we're not mentioning Johnny in the same breath as Walton and Alcindor, you know what I mean? In terms of scoring. So like, 
it is a little surprising, but it's not surprising that his ability to do it, you know, like he's as an offensive, he's always been a gifted offensive player. I think people thinking he's bouncing back from Kentucky. And now there's another Southern California player bouncing back from Kentucky, Devin Askew from modern day. Mm-hmm. So you obviously that sometimes has a negative connotation, but maybe it's those things shouldn't have a negative connotation. Like we always say all the time, maybe if the fit is right, that's what you should look for, regardless of whether it's a higher level school or mid-major. The, if the fit is right, then it's it's a good situation. And obviously, that's a perfect situation from Johnny. And honestly, we're going to see a lot more of that this year. And we hopefully a lot of those players find the right situations. But I just think the transfer reporter is so big and robust that many of them are not. Yeah, there's there's, <laughs> a, there's like over a thousand people in the transfer portal right now. And it's just going to be a trickle-down effect, right? The high majors are going to get yeah. who they want. And then the mids are going to get who they want. And then the lows are going to get who they want. And then it's going to trickle down to D2, D3, NEIA. And even at my level, Ronnie at Fullerton College, junior college level, you're going to get guys who yeah. want bounce backs who want to go D1 again, who, who find themselves with no spot, no roster yeah. spot in a, in a team that might not you know, be interested in them right now, but may be interested in them next year when someone else transfers. So yeah, it's just this whole melting pot of, of things. And, and I don't want to get, you think? before we bring Jaime, I don't want to get too deep into, you know, uh, you know, the transfer portal and what the NCAA should do about it, if they should do anything about it. But I mean, based on all the movement and, and, you know, uh, the extra year that's being given, I mean, dang, it, it's an unprecedented time. So I don't think there's really much that can be done about it. What do you think? Yeah. Um, it's an unprecedented time because yeah. just think about how you oh, looked at recruiting two or three years ago. Again, I don't want to go too deep into it right now, but you had to know your your board. Like we used to say, your board. Who are you? Who's your target for high school? That was your number one priority. Yeah. In terms of recruiting, whether it's Kentucky, Duke, UCLA, you have your list. You have your board. Hey, we're going after this guy. We can't get him. Can we get him? Uh, mainly at the high school level, and and mixed in maybe a little junior college if you had a really high level junior college guy. That's pretty much gone. That's off the board. Like, that's not even the most important thing you got to do is like, who's in the portal? Who can you get? Who's going to leave? Who do you think is going to leave? Which one of your guys are going to leave? Like you, that's what you have to have a, a really good pulse on. I really don't think you even have to have a pulse on a high school 221 class right now. You should, but I don't think that that's the main focus. Yeah. I mean, as you know, I, I run a scouting service. I'm not sure if you still run your scouting service, but yeah. uh, I, I talk to my clients you know, daily, weekly, whatever. And, and I'm like, you know, always asking them the first question is what do you need? And none of them said they needed a high school player in 221. They're looking for transfers. They're looking for transfers. That's just and, the bottom line. Yeah. And then you look at the portal, it, it gets even more crazy when, you know, head coaches lose their jobs. So yesterday, so Tuesday, uh, Kim Aiken, a transfer from Eastern Washington, he committed to Arizona and Wednesday morning, Sean Miller is no longer the coach at Arizona. So that opens up even more movement. It's just, it's yeah. wild. We're going to do our best to keep track of, of that for people and, and try to, I don't know, I guess give our thoughts and, and, you know, how we can, you know, I don't know what, what needs to be done to, to change it. If yeah, it needs, we'll, we'll break it down one on one of future episodes. Yeah. We'll break it down. It's tough. We'll get somebody on, we'll get a, a college coach or somebody on and give us some insight. Maybe another, somebody who works for one of the recruiting networks. Yeah. But, you know, we, we broke down Johnny's game. Besides Johnny, go listen to that on the rise. We've had a few good ones. 
um, you know, we did uh, Kate Cunningham, we've done JD Davidson and some other elite players. But besides Johnny, because you can go listen to that, what's the, the the thing you remember most about UCLA's run now that it's over? Besides the the ending, um, yeah, I think it's probably just the toughness that Cronin yeah. was able to instill in that team. Yeah, and you know, I was talking to uh, Coach Perry Webster, uh, our head coach at Florida College, and it's like. It seems like like a band of misfits, you know what I mean? That yeah. team, just a, a bunch of guys who, um, you know, were leftovers after Steve Alford uh, got fired. And, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, is Cronin going to run all these guys off? You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Get his Midwest type his, of guys in. Yeah. Right. He had, a, he had a, a certain recruiting style at Cincinnati that worked for him. Yeah, he's and, got a Midwest guy in our guest coming up. <laughs> yeah, he yeah, but what he I guess what we didn't know and what yeah. what Cronin may have known was that these guys, especially guys like Jaime Jaquez and and Cody Riley and um even guys off the bench, Kenneth Nuba, uh I'm yeah. not sure if I said his name right. He I mean he did he came off the bench for you know just sparing minutes and did really good things. Um yeah, I think the biggest thing they're tough. Yeah, just the toughness that guys like Cody brought, guys like Jaime brought, um, and just seeing all of those players who were expected to transfer or be run off or, or you know, didn't fit Mick Cronin. They actually did, and <laughs> they made a run to the Final Four, man. That's insane. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens yeah. with this UCLA team. And, you know, in, in the offseason, uh, if Johnny Juzang decides to go pro, if somebody else decides to go pro, who knows? Who knows? Yeah, I think – we've talked about this when we talked about various topics, whether it's a super bowl or a college football playoff game, we will, we'll touch on certain topics. It's, it's like Notre Dame football or, or something like that. For whatever reason, Southern California always has more buzz about basketball and college basketball. When UCLA is good, there's just nothing. You can't change that fact. It's been like that since I was a kid, probably before I was even a, knowing what UCLA basketball is. If UCLA basketball is good, it's something to talk about around town. A lot of people were watching this tournament and following this UCLA team. If you look at the numbers, Devin, um, you know, that great semifinal game, and then it helped the final. The final was the most watched basketball game like in two years, including the NBA finals. Mm -hmm. So I think that has to do with UCLA basketball bid in that great semifinal game. And we'll obviously talk about that with, with Jaime, but, um, just in, or I'm speaking more locally. People are more interested in college basketball when UCLA is really good. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, especially here. And especially yeah. when the team is made up of Southern California guys, you think of, yeah. you know, back when Ben Howland was the coach, um, you know, guys like Darren yeah. Collison, um, Jordan Farmar, uh, Aflalo, yeah. Lorenzo Mata. Yeah. Um, They're all know, local. Yeah. When, when Southern California people can identify with the players that they watched, you know, at the high school level being, the guys leading the marquee program in Los Angeles at the college level, that's going to, you know, drum up even more interest for that particular program. Um, Ronnie, we should have Jaime jumping in here pretty soon. Why don't you, you know, tell us a little bit, tell our listeners a little bit about, you know, just his high school career and some of his you know numbers and standout performances. Yeah. You know, um, when you look at him, he played in the coastal Canyon league. It's kind of funny because our guy Riley Batten played in that league. And he was just dominant, one of the best players in Ventura County history. And then Jaime comes right after him one year later. And he was obviously the Coastal uh, Canyon League MVP as a senior. That's 2019. 
and one of the best players in the state. He, he set a bunch of school records, and he too is one of the best um, players in Ventura County history coming right after uh, Riley. So, you know, he had some 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 school records, a bunch of school records, and and it just, you know, what I didn't think what a lot of people take into account is his skill level and his toughness, but he did average 31.7 points a game, 11.7 rebounds. They went 25-4. and four. I think the one game that might have turned people's Heads, Devin, is they beat Modern Day in a showcase game during his senior year. Yeah, hi, Major. Hakez just joined us. Uh, hi, May. Good, man. How are you? Good. How are you guys? Hanging good. in there. Good. Hanging in there. Good. So good. Good. you went from the Coastal Canyon League to the Final Four. Hi, May. Uh, yeah. Tell us a little bit about that journey for you from high school to the Pac-12. Uh, I mean, I guess just, you know, it started, uh, you know, junior year, uh, got the offer from UCLA, um, you know, uh, it didn't take me long to really make my decision about where I wanted to go. And that was uh, in Westwood with the Bruins. So, you know, senior year, uh, enjoyed my senior year, then uh, went to went to college, played my freshman year. Unfortunately, didn't get to play in the Pac-12 tournament or have the opportunity to play in March Madness. But um, then going into my sophomore year, uh, just knew that we were going to make big jumps from uh, the previous year. And we had a lot of goals that we wanted to accomplish. Some of them we didn't, some of them we did. And then, you know, uh, I'm, I'm really proud of the job that we did. So, you know, really happy with our team. Yeah, that makes sense. That's an understatement. I mean, you guys yeah. did a really great job yeah. and really put it together. Now, was that something like eternally too? like, hey, forget what people say. We got talent here. We could be good. Like, did you guys think of that or yeah. was it more like it just started building and building win after win? Um, no, we definitely knew uh, that what we were capable of, um, you know, after losing to Oregon State in the Pac-12, in the Pac-12 tournament, um, you know, we just, we had to get back and just regroup. So we, we flew back from Vegas uh, to Westwood and, um, you know, we had a, like a day off and then, you know, came back and regrouped and coach had a talk with all of us and said, you know, this is going to be a good thing for us in the long run. So we just get a chance to regroup, uh, focus on what we need to do and just get better. And uh, I, th I think it helped us definitely, like he said, in the long run, uh, just being able to refocus and regroup because, you know, like everyone was counting, counting us out after losing those four games. And it wasn't really trying to prove anything, uh, prove anybody wrong about what they were saying about us. It was just trying to more prove uh, ourselves right because we knew the team that we could be and we knew what we were capable of. So we proved ourselves right more than anything. What was it about this team, whether in practice or in games that you may have won or may have lost, that made you believe that you could make a deep run in the NCAA tournament? Um, I think it was just a togetherness that we had. I mean, no matter when we were losing games, uh, you know, it wasn't no, we weren't blaming anybody. Uh, we weren't, um, you know, pointing fingers at like coaches or teammates or, you know, it was this person's fault or this person's fault. You know, we all knew, uh, you know, why we lost those games. And, you know why we won and so just sticking together was pretty much the biggest thing throughout that whole journey uh and that's and that's really the main reason why we made it so far just sticking together and you know uh yeah i mean talk a little bit about the uh, michigan state game uh, you guys mm -hmm. get the draw and uh -huh. then you know so you guys were able to make that comeback so the you know, was it something that you guys like, hey, yeah, we're going to do this? Or did it say something in the locker room that made a difference either before the game or after game? What 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 transpired after you guys made that comeback? Uh, pretty much uh, after the game, we just came together and said, uh, you know, this is not this is not a fluke. Like this is what we've been doing. 
uh, there was a lot of times earlier in the year where uh, we would be down at halftime and then come back. Even even when I was a freshman, that was just kind of like what we did as a team. So uh, that familiarity that we had uh, in that game gave us a lot of confidence moving forward into the tournament. Yeah, and obviously you took hold of that confidence and made a deep run. And then you, you find yourself against undefeated Gonzaga in the final four. Mm. And you find yourself in overtime with them yeah. uh, fighting like hell to to win that game. And Jalen Suggs hits that that shot yeah. uh, what was I mean what was the feeling like in that moment and now that you've had a, a few days to kind of sit on it are you still mm -hmm. in shock or are you kind of uh, uh, moving on uh, I would say you know in the moment it was definitely like a shocker uh, I saw it go up and I'm like we're going in a double overtime and then bank it's in because I thought it was long I got a good angle yeah. and I thought it was long so I thought we had double overtime we were going to win win that game and then it went in and I was just like oh my gosh now it was like the third buzzer beater that year and I was like there's no way we can lose to another buzzer beater and then you know it happens because we lost Stanford at the buzzer and then USC was like you know a second left in the game yeah and then Gonzaga but you know now I'm sitting on it you know I'm just uh I can't you know I can't be upset uh we hit every shot that we needed to hit to even make that game tied and, yeah you know come down to that so uh, so, you know, the ball was just in their hands at the last with the with the last seconds on the clock. And, you know, if that's how they're going to win, I guess, you know, I, I can live with it. I can live with myself knowing that, you know, we did everything that we could. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people forget your three. And then, you know, obviously Johnny has the ball. Yeah. And obviously your your job is to probably try to grab an offensive rebound or maybe if, if he gets in trouble, maybe he looks for you. Yeah. But he's probably going to take a look at the basket. And what were you thinking when it went up and then like the ball went straight back to Johnny and then it's like, okay, now I got to get back on D or what's uh, kind of going through your mind then? Obviously you got a box out. I'm assuming that's yeah, your first job. For sure. For sure. So, yeah. yeah. So I see he's got the ball, uh, you yeah. know, we're letting it ride. He's got the hot hand, obviously. Yeah. And, um, you know, he goes up. Uh, I, I know he's trying to put pressure on the defense to uh, try to at least get a foul call. And yeah. put himself in a position to, you know, if he misses, get his rebound. Because that's something that we work on practice every day. Go off two feet. Uh, so if you miss, you can get your rebound. And that's exactly what he did. Uh, he got his rebound, put it in for the layup. And then the first thing we do is we sprint back on defense. Um, you know, try to build a wall because we know how fast they are in transition. Sure. And, you know, he just gets it, dribbles up. I, I think even his coach was trying to call a timeout. Uh, you know, we were looking oh. back and his co I think coach Mark Few is trying to uh, call a timeout, but he just goes for it, throws it up and it goes in. And yeah, so that's just kind of how it happened. Yeah. Yeah. What was coach Cronin's message to you guys after after that game? Take us into the locker room after the game. Uh, yeah, it was a, it was a pretty, uh, you know, pretty. I don't want to say it was it was it was bittersweet mm -hmm. um, just because, you know, obviously heartbreaking loss. Um, but I mean, he just came in, uh, he just, he just taught, told us how proud he was of us and just, you know, how proud he was to coach us and, you know, just being so resilient, uh, throughout the whole entire year. And, you know, he basically told us, uh, you know, listen, I, we can't be upset guys. You know, this was, you couldn't have gave any better of an effort. And sometimes, you know, you just, it's just not supposed to happen. Uh, you sure. know. That, that's basically what it's all. Sometimes it's just not meant to be. And, you know, I guess that's what it was for us this year. But, yeah. you know, looking, we're, we're, we're moving on and we're looking forward. Yeah. Uh, take us back, Jaime, when you 
you know, like you're saying, like it's 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 not meant to be. And, and uh-huh. when did you know for you, like UCLA was meant to be? And uh-huh. did you always have that confidence, like, hey, I could go in there and you, and you started a lot of games as a freshman. Mm-hmm. Kind of take through that, and like, and when you felt like, yeah, I, I I could play at this level, and I'm gonna make an impact at this level. Uh, I would I would say. Uh, for sure, the Maui tournament, for sure. Uh, that's kind of when I started getting like my big minutes and then I got my first start. Uh, that was kind of that was kind of the moment where I was like, OK, yeah, this is something this is something I can do. And this is uh, I can make a big impact on this team on yeah. um, this school. So I, I guess that was kind of like the time. And then, you know, just writing that from then on. Yeah. I mean, you played with the Mexican national team in, in 2019 in the mm-hmm. Pan Am Games. Tell us a little bit about that experience for you and, and how it helped you maybe grow as a person and grow as a player. Oh yeah. I mean, that experience was, uh, that experience was absolutely amazing. Uh, I got to meet uh, so many great people, um, you know, so many great coaches and just uh, it really opened my eyes to just see how global basketball really is and you sure. know how many people, how many people take it seriously uh, outside of the U S because I know everyone's, you know, obviously focused on the NBA how big that league is but you know people don't always look at you know the rest of the world and realize how many great players there are you know down in Mexico and just everywhere over the globe and that, that's something that really opened my eyes and just the different you know different basketballs it's just it was a great experience just a great experience now did you try out or did you have your workouts down in Mexico and then mm-hmm. were you the youngest guy on the team <laughs> You yeah, so, yeah. So when I was there, I was, uh, I was one of, I think I was the youngest guy on the team. There were some other college kids yeah, uh, yeah. with me as well, who uh, were, who played in the States and came over um, to play in this game. So yeah, I was the youngest one. I was the youngest one there. Uh, there were some older guys as well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they treated me well. It was, it was a lot of fun. You know, they messed with us because it, it was our first time. And so when I came back, so when I went there in the Pan American games, like the game, the day before the game, uh, I guess it's like they hazed us and they all shaved their heads. So, yeah, <laughs> and it was crazy. So then, like, as soon as I came back, it was like my first day of college and I come back with a shaved head. Oh, man. I'm like, yeah, it was. Yeah, it wasn't the best, but you got you know, to get a hair now. Yeah, you yeah, got a full head hair now. Just got a haircut, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, so was our guy Alex Perez on that team from uh Ote Ranch from Chula Vista from Fresno City. Was he no, on the No, he, 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 he wasn't there. Oh, no. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. He I mean, did you did you feel the kind of outpouring of support and the, the backing up of you from the Latino community throughout the NCAA tournament? Oh, for sure, for sure. Tons what? of uh, yeah, tons, go ahead. tons of DMs, tons of uh, just you know, messages over Twitter. Um, you know, just tons of just support, you know. I just felt it throughout the whole tournament. And I mean, you know, being in that bubble, you don't really see it uh, uh, just because you're with, you know, a bunch of other teams playing in this tournament. But, you know, as, as soon as I got back, I had, you know, my family and people telling me in person just, you know, how much it meant, uh, you know, for me to be uh, playing in the Final Four and representing, you know, something bigger than myself. Yeah. yeah. Did, did you have any surprising people reach out to you via DM that, that you didn't expect or or anything like that? Yeah, like uh, the other day, George Lopez, he posted oh, wow. my story. That was crazy. Yeah, yeah. My, uncle, my uncle had like, he had uh, sent sent him a DM, I think, or something like that, and was telling him about me. And he said, oh, well, let me go check him out. And then he posted me on his story and, and wow. sent me those. So it was, it was cool. That was pretty cool. That yeah. was definitely surprising for sure. That's, yeah. that's, a, that's an awesome story. Obviously, me, I have a personal connection to that, and meaning playing uh-huh. basketball. My, my parents – 
don't know anything about basketball. And I'm sure yeah. Latinos are like that. Maybe ones yeah. that are a little bit older than you. Their their parents don't know that much about basketball. They like it. You know, maybe mm-hmm. they don't have the connections. They don't know where the travel teams are, that kind of thing. That's kind of how I was a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how, how much of it is it a blessing that your parents, you know, your dad, Big Jaime, and your mom, mm-hmm. Angela, they played college ball. Like, mm-hmm. how much does that, like, give you joy and pride? And then also, how much did that help you? Oh, that that gives me a ton of joy and pride. Yeah. Uh, just knowing that I had two two parents uh, play college basketball, you know, at, especially at the same school. So, I mean, I remember when I was younger, going back, uh, uh, going back to their Concordia University, their alma mater, and um, you know, my mom, she's in the Hall of Fame there. So, just seeing that was just super cool, and then seeing all the connections, and even going to some of the some of the games there was always awesome. So just, you know, growing up around basketball is definitely a huge help and yeah. has definitely helped me, you know, get to where I am today. Yeah. I mean, how long did it take you to beat your mom in one-on-one? Yeah. Beat my mom? Yeah, that's what I was uh, Yeah. Say. I probably got to about middle school, I think. That's when I started beating her. And then, okay. Your dad? Yeah. And then my dad, I think it was like maybe eighth grade, I think I beat my dad or maybe freshman year or something like that. Okay. Yeah. He, yeah. he played in some men's leagues. So I remember when I was little going to his men's leagues games, Oh, nice. he would take me sometimes to play. So it, it, nice. was, it was fun. Um, real quick before you go, what, what kind of, what did your dad teach you about the game? And then what did your mom teach you about the game? What were the, the styles of how they, they kind of brought you up on it? Uh, my mom, she was uh, definitely more of a defensive okay. uh, minded coach uh, when they were coaching me. Uh, so she always said, you know, no matter what, um, this is the biggest thing she always said, no matter what, you're going to you're, you're gonna have bad offensive days, but you can't control that. But what the thing you can't control is your hustle mm-hmm. and your defense, because that's all mental and that all just comes from you and your will to play defense. So that was something that she always taught me. And my dad, he was more on the skill side. So he always taught me, you know, he taught me how to shoot, mm-hmm. how to dribble, how to pass and all that stuff. Go over film with me, all that. Great stuff. Jaime Hospital, thanks so much for joining us, man. Yeah, thank you. We're happy to see you guys, uh, all those Southern California guys, make a deep run in the, in the tournament. And uh, hopefully we see you next year and we see you doing the same thing. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, guys. Appreciate thanks, it. Guys. Yes, Appreciate sir. it. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Yeah, Devin, I, I figured yeah. I was going to ask him something similar, like, <laughs> yeah. is your mom still the best player in the family? Yeah, I knew you were going to jump in there and ask that. They're tough, That's a good bro. Story. They are, they but you know, you know, for one thing, you know, the mom likes Cronin. Yeah. We know that. You know, oh, Angela sure. likes Cronin. Yeah. So. Like we were talking about earlier, it's like, yeah. Jaime, you know, a lot of people might not have seen him at Camarillo because, you know, that's way out in, in the boonies, I guess, in, you know, where we are. But yeah. we, we saw him plenty with Camarillo because they played in everything. And sure. people, you know, who covered basketball outside of Southern California uh, may not have, you know, been like, who is Jaime Jaquez, right? Um, but obviously, Ronnie, just uh, he's a big time player. And he's always been a guy who, who we know um, has been tough, has been physical. And yeah. I think a lot of these guys who played on, you know, smaller level teams, like a Jared Lucas, a high school team that is lesser known at, at Los Altos Hacienda Heights and Jaime Jaquez, they had to be the guys for their teams. And that's carrying over to the next level. Yeah, no, definitely. It's funny. You think about, I mentioned the modern day game he had. And, you know, he played in another showcase game. You might have been there or might have been on your way, um, whatnot. They played, he, they played in the real run. So they played Hesperia. And, again, Hesperia is way, yep. you know, out there 
the other way, obviously, Camarillo's going north and in, 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 I guess, northwest out in my, my direction. But if you go to Hesperia, you're going east, right? And, you know, he had a, his career high against Jaden Shackelford and Hesperia, 50 points in a showcase game. And it's funny because Jaden has it made his team made a deep run with Alabama. So it's very interesting. And they played against each other. And obviously UCLA knocked them off. So it's very a lot of storylines there. A lot of things we could keep going into. But yeah, these guys really played on a big stage. They they uh, they show that they they belong, whether, you know, these recruiting networks knew about it or not, or they had them too low. Obviously, they had Jared too low. They had Jaden too low. Maybe Jaime was close to the range he should have been at, probably. But uh, there was a lot of guys like that that, you know, definitely deserve more accolades. Even our guy, Ethan Thompson, I even though, you know, most people probably think he should have been a McDonald's All-American and, and he's yeah. he proved that this year and he had a great career. And I think he showed that it, during the tournament. So a lot of good stories there. We're, we're glad those guys today were able to come on and literally we could talk about them for another couple yeah. hours. I mean, yeah. they, they, they have that's how much they've contributed to the Southern California basketball scene. Yeah, maybe maybe the next podcast one we can get a couple more guys on um, and, and talk to them about their experiences. Um, you know, maybe maybe we can get Ethan Thompson on. We, we tried this time, but he was unavailable. So we'll, we'll try and reach out to a couple more guys, get a get a couple more Southern California, you know, packed full of players onto the podcast and, and give us their you know their rundown and their experience. But uh, we appreciate you guys tuning in to episode ninety seven of the In the Paint Show presented by Ball is Life. Make sure you head to the Ball is Life YouTube, Ball is Life Podcast Network YouTube page, where you can find uh, our latest shows on our new On the Rise show, where we break down some of the future NBA players, uh, you know, across the country. Uh, head to ballislife.com, check out our latest uh, rankings from Ronnie on the Fat 50. Check out our latest uh, content, our other podcasts too. We've got a lot of stuff going on at ballislife.com. So we appreciate you guys tuning in to the In the Paint show. But until the next episode, Ronnie and Devin are signing off.